Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 627 for the 27th of January, 2019. This week, thinking about a new computer, selecting Windows, Mac OS, or Linux is the first decision, but there are lots of others. Desktop, notebook, tablet, or convertible? How much CPU power? How much memory? We'll step through some of the choices. In short circuits, once you've purchased a new computer, what will you do with the old one? Adding it to a landfill is the worst possible choice, but there are several good options. If you listen to music on a phone or a tablet, there are some ways to improve the sound. And this week on Spare Parts, only on the website, online trust is fragile and organizations suffer when people have doubts about the security of their personal information. Also, Adobe Audition and its initial incarnation, Centrillium Cool Edit, have been around for 25 years, and the application continues to improve. Now that we're about to start the second month of a new year, maybe you're thinking about buying a new computer. This can be a frustrating task, so let's consider how you might be able to make the process a little easier and faster. First, you need to decide whether you want a computer that runs Mac OS, Windows, or some variant of Linux. That topic alone could take up more time than we have, so let's just cheat. If you've used a Windows computer and you're happy with it, look for a Windows computer. If you've used the Mac OS and you're happy with it, look for a Mac. And if you've used one or more of the Linux distros and you're happy with that, just carry on because you probably already know more than I do. Switching from one operating system to another isn't really all that difficult, but it can be frustrating. So stick with what you know, unless you have a good reason for wanting to switch. So that covers the entire operating system question in a single pass. Now let's continue with computers. I'm going to start with Windows because there are more choices with Windows systems. It might seem that having more choices is a good thing, and maybe it is, but it can lead to extreme frustration. So choices. Tablet, convertible, notebook, desktop. If portability is your primary concern, a tablet or convertible would be the right choice. You'll have to live with a lot of compromises, though, because these devices usually have less powerful CPUs, less memory, much smaller hard drives, and some display limitations. Some have powerful processors, but the trade-offs are higher price and hotter operating temperatures. Currently, notebook computers seem to be the do-everything machines. With a dock and the right peripherals, notebooks can replace desktop computers. In fact, my primary computer has been a notebook for the past couple of years. And while I miss some of the aspects of a desktop system that has all the disk drives inside the case and offers the ability to update individual components, the notebook has proved to be more than adequate for my needs. Desktop systems are larger, noisier, and a lot easier to work on. If you like to update components occasionally, possibly adding memory or an extra disk drive, 
It's easy with desktop systems because the case can be opened with just a few tools, or in some cases, no tools at all. Some notebook systems provide relatively easy access to some of the components, but convertibles and tablets require specialized tools and specialized knowledge just to get inside the case. Virtually all computers have Wi-Fi built in these days, or in the case of desktop systems, easily added on, but mobile users may also want to have cellular connectivity for times when no Wi-Fi signal is present. If you want to do that, you'll need a data plan, of course, and adding that capability to the computer will increase the price substantially. Another option involves turning your smartphone into a Wi-Fi hotspot and then connecting to the phone via Wi-Fi for your internet access from a Wi-Fi-only computer. Next, you need to balance power and cost. The amount of computing power, memory, and disk space you'll need will have a big effect on the cost. You'll find computers priced from well under $500 to well over $2,000. Those who need nothing more than website, browsing, and email can stick to the lower end of the price range, while those who want to edit large photographs or videos or publications will need to purchase a computer that's more toward the top end of the scale. And that also goes for gamers. The CPU in low-cost computers will have lower performance and will have fewer cores. Cores are like a CPU inside a CPU. More cores means the computer will be faster. Maybe. In addition to cores, there's also the speed of the CPU. A slower CPU with more cores might be a better choice than a faster CPU with fewer cores. The most popular CPUs from Intel are Core i5, Core i7, and Xeon. For most users, the slower i5 or the even slower i3 or the faster i7 would be the best choice. Xeon processors are best suited to servers. And if you're looking for high performance and low cost, well, it'd be a good idea to just stop looking right now because you won't find it. Decide whether performance or cost is more important to you. It is possible to save money, often quite a bit of money, by choosing a computer with the second best CPU offered for the machine. The fastest CPU offered for any given computer usually adds less than 10% to overall performance, but might add considerably more than 10% to the cost. The second fastest CPU coupled with more RAM and a fast, solid-state boot drive is often the best value. So what if you're looking for a Mac OS computer? Well, everything that applies to Windows computers applies to Mac OS computers, but compared to Windows users, Mac OS users have a somewhat limited selection. Only Apple makes computers that run the Mac OS. Now, wait a minute. It is possible to build your own computer and possibly get the Mac OS to run on it. If you can do that, you don't need me. Apple doesn't make tablets. Okay, yes, I know that statement is going to be greeted by howls. Yes, there's the iPad. I have one, and I like it. But it is not a computer. It runs on iOS instead of the Mac OS. So here's what I'm comparing. Windows tablets that run Windows 10 look and act like notebook and desktop computers that run Windows 10. Tablets that run iOS do not look or act like computers that run the Mac OS. When it comes to computers, you have a choice of the MacBook, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, iMac, iMac Pro, and the Mac Mini. And if cost is no object, the Mac Pro. In many ways, finding the right Mac OS computer is easier than finding the right Windows or Linux computer because there's only one manufacturer 
and that one manufacturer has a limited series of choices. So with that, let's move on to Linux. If your operating system choice is Linux, you have more and fewer options than Windows or Mac OS users. You have more choices because just about any computer can be set up to run Linux. You have fewer choices because getting some computers to run Linux is a little challenging. Here's an example. I retired a Toshiba notebook computer a couple of years ago and installed Linux Mint on it. When the computer was connected to the router by cable, I had internet access, but the operating system did not recognize the computer's built-in Wi-Fi components. I purchased a USB Wi-Fi device that was certified for Linux, but initially it didn't work either. Instead of returning the device, I worked with the seller for more than two weeks, and eventually Linux Mint was able to recognize and use the Wi-Fi device. The seller certainly spent so much time and effort assisting me that they lost money on the sale, and the situation was, of course, frustrating for me. There are sellers who offer computers that are certified for Linux. In part, this means that the computer doesn't rely on any components that have built-in proprietary Windows-specific drivers. There's usually a way to get Windows-specific drivers to work under Linux, but as with the situation I just described, the process may be long and frustrating. Best to simply avoid it. Linux, for all its advantages, can still be difficult for users to set up. Once it is set up and running, though, a Linux computer essentially maintains itself by updating the operating system and the applications as needed. Linux is worth looking at if you don't depend on Microsoft, Adobe, or other applications that run only on the Mac OS or Windows. In fact, Linux could be the perfect match for someone who wants an easily maintained system that has office applications, email, and website browsing. In short circuits, well, now that you bought a new computer, what do you do with the old one? The old computer may still work. Instead of adding it to a landfill, maybe you'd like to repurpose it, give it away, or recycle it. Any of those options is better than dumping it into a landfill. Some of the materials used to make computers are in short supply, and they're obtained only by mining vulnerable areas of the planet, so even a dead computer absolutely should not be tossed into the trash. When organizations retire a bunch of computers, they can sell them to companies that recycle them. But these options are usually not available to those of us who have just one or two computers they want to recycle. However, some office supply companies, such as Staples, do accept computers and other components for recycling. Staples, for example, works with ERI Direct. Staples says any computers, phones, or other data-containing devices with hard drives entering the reuse market are wiped to the Department of Defense specifications or the hard drives or memory cards are destroyed. Staples says that older electronic items are pre-processed and then run through a large shredder to separate the various metals, plastics, and glass for sending to different downstream recycling facilities. Even so, it's a good idea to wipe memory cards and disk drives before you submit them for recycling. And that means more than just deleting the files or formatting the media. Securely erasing a disk drive involves writing over everything on the drive. Windows users can download the free DiskWipe. Mac users can download DiskWiper 15. 
These are applications that wipe the entire disc, so use them with extreme caution. CCleaner also offers an option to wipe a disk drive's blank space, so you'd need to delete any files that contain important personal information, then empty the recycle bin, and finally use CCleaner to wipe the free space. CCleaner can also be used to wipe the entire disk, but it misidentified the disk drives on my computer. Only the C drive is a solid state drive, but CCleaner identified all of the drives as SSDs. You can use an application like this to wipe a solid-state drive, but a better method involves using an application like Parthead Magic. Parthead is short for Partition Editor. Parthead Magic isn't free. It is reasonably priced, though, at just $11. Before you securely erase a disk drive, be sure you have the installation media for the operating system if you want the computer to be operational once you're done with it. And before you do that, maybe it'd be a good idea to think about what's on the disk. If it's just email and a few documents, deleting those documents after copying them to your new computer and then wiping the free space on the disk drive might be sufficient. Now, instead of recycling the computer, you might choose to donate it. Keep in mind that an old, slow computer is still better than no computer, and several organizations work to repurpose those kinds of computers for use in developing countries as well as in low-income areas of the United States. The Christina organization will help you identify nearby organizations that accept computers for reuse. If you plan to repurpose a computer or donate it to an organization that will give it to a needy user, it is helpful to prepare the computer for use. That may take a few hours of your time. Consider it to be your good deed for the day. So let's work through this for a Windows computer. It's a good idea to make sure the system is clean before proceeding, so boot into safe mode and use an application such as the free version of the F-Secure online scanner to scan for malware. Another good choice is the Sophos rootkit removal application. Both of these will, of course, attempt to sell you their paid protective applications. Just ignore that. And if you decide to use the rootkit removal application, expect that to take a long time. When you're sure the system contains no malware, open Settings and type Reset in the search box, then choose Reset this PC, select Get Started, and then choose Remove Everything in the next dialog box. This will delete all of your files and restore the computer to its original state. Next, return to Settings, choose Update and Security, and click Check for Updates. Install all of the updates that are offered, when the updates have all been installed, repeat the process, check for updates, and install any more that appear. Keep repeating that process until no new updates are shown. At some point, you'll be asked to create a user for the computer. If you plan to give the computer to someone you know, you can create an account for that person. Otherwise, I generally just create an account called User with a password of Password. This assumes the new user will be willing and able to create a better account with a more secure password. But whatever you do with your old, outmoded computer, the planet will be grateful if you don't toss it into the trash. Smartphones are remarkable devices. Their cameras, their web browsers, they connect to email, they allow users to send text messages and participate in video chats. Sometimes they're even used to make phone calls. But in general, there is one deficiency, sound. Four primary smartphone types exist, Android, iOS, BlackBerry, and Microsoft. Android market penetration has hovered around 50% since 2012. 
iOS devices have increased from about 30% in 2012 to around 45% now. That doesn't leave much room for the other two. BlackBerry has declined from about 15% to around 2%, and Microsoft has never been above 5%. So it's nearly a sure thing that your smartphone is either Android or iOS. Both systems have methods for adjusting playback sound. Regardless of which operating system your phone uses, you'll want to use headphones instead of the built-in speakers. I'm astonished by the quality of sound provided by the tiny speakers in these little devices, because the quality is far better than it has any right to be. Still, the sound will be better if you choose to use headphones or earbuds. Headphones and earbuds range in price from a few tens of dollars to many hundreds of dollars. In general, higher-priced devices provide better sound. Flat response has an unexciting name, but flat is also accurate and without emphasis on any specific range of sounds. Accurate sound reproduction might not be what you want, though. Voice tracks are better with emphasis on mid-range frequencies. Rock music may benefit from emphasis on bass frequencies. And really, it depends on the listener to decide how to appreciate what they're listening to. If you have an iOS device, you'll find an equalizer in Settings, Music. Here, you can select for more than 20 choices, but there's no graph to show which frequencies are being accentuated and which are being de-emphasized. iOS users can also choose from third-party applications such as the Audio Exciter from Rode Microphones and the Hi-Fi Player from Onkyo. As with most things Apple, the company would prefer that users not delve too deeply into the underlying functions, and some of the software equalizers require that the user jailbreak the phone or tablet. Android users have no built-in equalizer functions, but Neutralizer by Javio can improve the sound of your smartphone or tablet. Neutralizer also has a chart that makes it look like a standard equalizer, but that's misleading. After you've installed the application, you need to tune it for the device. This is best done with the headphones or earbuds that you plan to use. Because the built-in speakers are so limited, the performance boost you get is also very limited. When you activate Neutralizer, it'll have a default flat setting called Speaker. Click the pencil item to make changes and start by renaming it. A good name will identify the headphones or earbuds you're using. Then tap each frequency band and adjust the sound up or down until you can just barely hear the sound. Once you've finished with all the bands, click the check mark to save the settings. So instead of creating a series of playback settings for different kinds of music, Neutralizer creates a flat playback response that is precisely tuned to your hearing. Neutralizer seems to be free. It can be downloaded from the Google Play Store. The store indicates that Neutralizer has in-app purchases. That usually means there's a paid version. So far, I have not been prompted to sign up for it. And there are no in-app purchases for spare parts, but you'll find spare parts only on the website. This week, online trust is fragile. Organizations suffer when people have doubts about the security of their personal information. Also, Adobe Audition and its initial incarnation, Centrillium CoolEdit, have been around for 25 years, and the application continues to improve. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, 
send me an email from there. See you next week.